it's my experience that people um, don't really understand the story of the Bible and how Christmas fits into the greater story, right? Um, and it's not just my thought. I was talking with a friend of mine uh, over lunch. I was talking to Ryan over lunch this week, and, um, and we were talking about an article that was released very briefly uh, from Christianity Today. By the way, Christianity Today, for the most part, eh. But sometimes they can put out some articles that are they're good, but most often not the place to go get the best truth. However, they had an article this week. It was titled, Most Americans and Many Christians Don't Believe the Son of God Existed Before the Manger. That was the title, okay? Um, and then here's what they said about it. This is a quote from them. There's a widespread argument, um, I'm sorry, agreement around Christmas as a historical event. But people are confused about the Trinity per a recent survey. Christmas is a celebration of a real event, according to most Americans. Just don't expect them to know exactly why Jesus was born and came to earth. End quote. By the way, I, I would agree with that. I, I would agree with that. And, and they're talking Christians. They're not talking like folks who are not Christians. They're saying most Christians don't understand this story, or most professing Christians don't understand this story. That's why over the next five weeks, I'm going to work to help you understand what's called the meta-narrative of the Bible, the, the storyline of the Bible from beginning in, in, in Genesis and up to and the ending in Revelation and lots of great stuff in between. Now, in five weeks, there's no way to teach you the Bible, but you can have a, a skeleton that you can start to fit some pieces into, right? And if you stick with us long enough, you'll start to be a, oh, okay, that makes sense, and that goes here. So that's what we're going to work hard at doing. Now, let's just address this topic, though. Why don't people know? Why don't Christians know? I think there's a couple answers. There's probably more, but two of the main ones, there are times that churches just don't teach the Word of God, and, and, and that's sad right? But, but many times I think they do, right? And so often it's not necessarily the church isn't working hard to teach the Bible. It's many people that would say they're Christian. They may only go on Christmas or Easter, and I'm not knocking that. If that's where you're at, that's where you're at. Don't stay there. It's time to change, time to grow, it's time to learn, it's time to go and be a part of more. But it's a combination of churches maybe not teaching the Bible, people not being there to actually hear the Bible. There, there could be a many reasons. But another reason is, is because we can sometimes think that we just show up for a show and we don't engage our minds and ask the Lord to help our eyes, our hearts to hear and to see. So don't be passive in that way. Seek to learn. Seek to grow. As we go through the book of Titus, I want you to go through the book with me. Read it. It's three chapters, right? Like, you can just read the letter. And I know many of you did that in the book of Galatians with me, and you've grown from it. I heard some reports. It's very encouraging in that way. But if you're like me, when I got saved, I, I had no trinity. I don't even know what that means. There, Jesus existed before the manger. Wasn't he born? I know the day I was born. I know the date. Isn't that when I began? Isn't that when he began? I think it's, it's not surprising people don't understand this because coming in as a 23-year-old man and getting saved in a church setting, I had no clue. And I would go to Bible studies and they would talk about these things as if this was just commonplace knowledge. And I'm like over here like, yeah. They're like, turn to the book of Numbers. I'm like, what? Right? Like, Okay, it's in the Bible. Oh, I had no clue. It's a book called Numbers. There's words. They're like, yeah, we'll explain it. Right? We, we just take these things for granted. Let's not do that. So, why does it happen? Another reason is, listen, 
It's, it's kind of like going into a, a movie, right? Who here likes movies? Oh, man, you guys all participated. That was great. Imagine going into a movie, right? Yeah, so, okay, it's perfectly true that the Virgin Mary gave birth to baby Jesus in order to save the world, right? People can know that, but not know the story of the Bible. It would be like going into a movie theater when the movie's halfway through, right? You got your popcorn, you're running late, you got your soda, whatever else you're into, you sit down, it's already half over, you're 20 minutes into it, you're kind of lost, you get a text and somebody says, hey, you want to go do X, Y, and Z? And by the way, X, Y, and Z is way better than whatever's on the screen. And you're like, yeah. So you get up, you leave the movie theater. But because you want people to know you were there, you go outside the little marquee, you take a little selfie, you make sure that the picture of the movie thing's in there, you put hashtag best movie, or you put hashtag worst movie, right? And some of your friends are like, like, love, whatever. And they start to engage you in the conversation. They're like, man, I saw it last night. I thought it was fantastic. What'd you think about? And you're like, yeah, cool, right? You you don't know what to say because you don't even know what they're talking about because you didn't actually see the movie, right? You didn't understand the beginning. You, didn't, you don't even understand the middle because you don't even understand the characters that you were watching for the 20 minutes before you got to text. You don't know whether it's good, whether it's bad. But because you don't want to admit that, you just start making up things. Yeah, I thought it was great. It was about this. It was about a cat. There's a cat in it. It's not about a cat, right? This is what we do. This is what we do with the Bible. This is what we do. So we do with Christmas, right? You, you walk out, you put hashtag best movie of the year. You go to church once or twice. You say, that's lame. Can't believe it. They got snakes that talk. But you don't understand the story. You don't understand the Bible. You've not read the Bible. You've not actually sought to know. Well, we want to work to change that, right? So if that's you, by the way, don't despair. That was me. <laughs> that was me. No clue. I'll tell you this, the Lord loves to work with someone who will humble themselves and say, Lord, teach me. And you just start where you're at and you grow from there, right? So if that's where you're at, I was there, it's cool. Let's work. All right, so when you think about it, every movie or story has to have four parts, right? It's got to have a beginning. You got to know how this thing began, right? So we're going to call that creation, right? But then you also got to have, any good movie is going to have a conflict, right? Would you agree with that? Yes, good. We're going to call that fall, right? Because the Bible calls that a fall. But then we've got to figure out, and by the way, movies don't give this to me anymore, and it really bothers me, conflict resolution. I need this thing resolved, but sometimes they don't do that, and I just go to bed very unsatisfied and upset because they just like to leave it like everything's terrible, which I guess is you know, somewhat true. But we're going to call conflict resolution, we're going to call that redemption. So you've got beginning, right, or creation, you've got fall, you've got redemption, and then I want the ending. I want restoration. I want to know how this thing just got better, and everything's awesome. That's what we need, and that's a good movie, and I can think of many movies like that. Well, I want you to know the Bible is a story. It's a love story. It's a drama between God and and humanity and and this war, right? We call it Christmas a, a story of love and war. What's war got to do with Christmas? It's baby Jesus, Right? Six pound, eight ounces, spikes shooting out of his face in a manger, baby Jesus. Where's the war? Well, it's, it's in there. It's like prego. But you got to look. But you got to understand how it all began. By the way, if you're looking for some really bright, cheery sermon to kick off your holiday cheer, um, 
It's 1034. There are services that don't start till 11 here in Greensburg. Go find one. But we'll end with good news. But, but I want you to know, and there'll be good news in between, but, but man, you've got to know that, that light has to invade dark spaces. And if you don't understand the dark space, you'll never appreciate the gospel. Okay? So, all that's really introduction. So let's talk about creation. We're going to spend some time in creation, not ton. We're going to get mostly into the fall. Um, we're going to talk about creation in the beginning of January because it's going to fit with this sermon series. And we'll continue to always weave in the Bible narrative throughout all sermons as we can. But creation, creation tells us how things began and where everything came from, right? And so no matter what your worldview is, it ought to have that. How did this thing begin, right? Well, the Bible says in Genesis 1.1, and by the way, I'm going to be mostly in Genesis 1, 2, 3, but primarily 3. So if you have your Bibles, you should open them to that. If you don't, start. <laughs> start, right? But you pay attention and listen and you'll get it. Right, okay. So in the beginning, okay, this is where it begins. God. 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 He created the heavens and the earth. The storyline of the Bible starts with God, and that's because everything was created by him and ultimately belongs to him and for him and is to glorify him, okay? To, to make his splendor shine all the more, okay? There was never a time that there was not God. By the way, if there was ever a time that there was not God, then there, God just doesn't appear. And if, and if he quote-unquote, does appear, then whoever caused him to appear gets to be God, right? There's never been a time that there wasn't God. But notice, the Bible doesn't start with us. It doesn't, because it's not primarily about us. Whoa, that's not what you're going to hear at most churches. What? Not about me? No, if you read the Bible, what you're going to see is it's primarily about God. And yet, God in his kindness is very much about making much of himself but he's for you. He loves his creation, right? So, so here's the thing. The Bible is all about Jesus. It's all about Christ. Remember that the world has not always been fractured. Now, you and I can't actually understand that because we've always lived in the world when it's been broken. We were born into sin, and the world that we were born into was already fractured. However, God created the world and everything in it and filled it with goodness. He filled it with purpose. And everything worked together perfectly in perfect harmony, just as he had designed. Okay? The Bible calls this shalom. Love the word. If you ever come to my house, you'll see it. It's right above our door as you leave. Okay? Shalom, by the way, it's a Hebrew word, and its meaning is peace, harmony, wholeness, completeness, prosperity, welfare, right? Like not welfare, like I'm on welfare, but like good welfare, right? Like tranquility, perfect harmony, shalom. So it's, it's a fun word to say. Say it. Shalom, right? And, and it's when all things are in their created places and working in perfect harmony. And, and everything that was created is in loving relationship with its creator. And, it, and listen, at the pinnacle of God's creation is humanity. It's man, it's woman, and you'll see that. Look, look at this in Genesis 1, 26 through 27, or listen as I read it. Then God said, 
Let us. Let's pause. Is us singular or plural? Plural. Well, who's us? By the way, we worship a triune God, all right? You're not going to see the word Trinity in the Bible, but, but you will see it all throughout the Bible if you will look, okay? So we worship one God, three distinct persons, Father, Son, Spirit, okay? And so here they are, it, which is, by the way, it's so silly to ever tell children that, he, that God created you because he was lonely. That's so pathetic. Don't, if you said that, repent now and never say it again. Because it's just not accurate to tell children that. As if God's so pathetic that he's bored, that he's like, i got to create a creature so I'm not lonely. Which makes you the center of the universe. That's not the Bible story. God is completely satisfied in of himself. He's, he has community. He has fellowship. He, he is delighted in the Son. The Son is delighted in the Father. The Spirit's delighted. And on and on and on. We worship one God who's completely pleased. Period. But it pleased him to create. And so he said, let us create man in our image. After our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heaven and over the livestock and over the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So, so listen, we're creatures from the beginning and we'll always be creatures, right? We've been created. However, this doesn't mean that we don't have value. It does not mean that we don't have value. As a matter of fact, um, humans have intrinsic value or absolute value, a deep worth, real value, purpose, because we're made in God's image. And we're the only thing in all of creation that is made in God's image. Not birds, not dogs, not cats. None of these things are image bearers, yet we are. Therefore, we're unlike all other creatures because we're made in his image. That's why we have amazing value in comparison to all other beings on the, place, on the face of this planet, right? Um, because it's, that means we, it's possible for us to have real relationship with God. Real relationship. We can abstract. We can think. We can love. We can show compassion and all these things. You won't see that in the National Geographic episode between lions and zebras and gazelles. You just won't, right? And, and so then in Genesis 2-7, it says that the Lord God, he, so he, he goes on to explain. It's such poetry in, in, in Hebrew writing. He goes on to explain, well, how did, how did this happen? How did you create the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground, listen, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. And this is beautiful. I mean, God created humans as thinking, feeling, moral persons who are both spiritual and physical, right? This, this is why... This is why you won't see gazelles all weeping at the fact that their little buddy just got ate. They're, they're animals, man. They're just running. Like, I hope the lion doesn't get me. I don't even know if they think that. But, but we, when, when we see a tragedy like that, we weep, we grieve, we cry. We, we have sorrow because we are made in God's image. Therefore, we can have compassion. We can have all these things that really is because we're made in God's image. We're like him. We're not him. We're not God, but we are like him. Right? If you were to hold a, a mirror to your face, you would see a reflection of yourself. In a, in a sense, humanity is a reflection of God. And at one time, we were a perfect reflection 
of him. Okay? And that's what we have here. Okay? So then God gave the first created man, Adam, a perfect home in the garden. By the way, work comes before the fall. Right? It's good to work. It's, it's a good thing. He was to manage and, and, and care for the ground that God had created, the Garden of Eden. And in his infinite wisdom, he gave one restriction. That's it. One command. Listen to it. Genesis 2, 16 through 17. By the way, we're going to cover a lot of Bible today. You're like, man, you're reading a lot of scripture. I know. But it's going to set a foundation for where we go from here. Okay? So notice, he says this, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden. Have at it, Adam. Go crazy. Go rip fruit off every tree. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Notice, by the way, God is not some cruel taskmaster trying to keep Adam from joy. As a matter of fact, in his, he's, he's trying to keep Adam in infinite joy. Because infinite joy is in glad submission to the creator who knows all. Right? So, so just don't eat this thing. God lovingly spoke to Adam, giving him complete freedom to enjoy all creation, except don't eat from this one particular tree. That was forbidden, right? And up to this moment, all that God had made was described as good. The only thing, though, that was described or, or told as that wasn't good was that Adam was alone, right? Okay? All was good, though. In this moment, the there was shalom, right? But, but look at this, Genesis 2.18. Then the Lord God said, it is not good. This is before the fall, by the way. It's not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. So even in a sinless state, notice that, that there's this need for companionship. Man, one thing that, one thing that this, this whole pandemic has done has really, for many people, separated them. And we need companionship. We need friendship. We need human contact. We need love, right? And, and it's, it's, it's really separated us. Some people, they, they, for health reasons, they needed to. But even here, without sin, notice, we need human friendship. We need someone like us, right? God's sufficient, and God in his infinite wisdom said, no, Adam needs someone like him. And so this is what he says, Genesis 2, 21 through 25. And so, kindness, just see kindness here. The Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs, closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he had made into a woman and brought her to the man. This is beautiful, right? He presents, here's, here's your bride. He presents Eve to Adam. And God presents it. And then it says, the man said, this at last is bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman. Right? By, by the way, this is a song and, and it's poetry. It's actually written as a song in the original language. And this word woman, like really could just be boiled down to mine. This is a beautiful picture. Adam's looking at his bride says, mine. You're like me. You're mine. You're for me. No, don't hear it like in a caveman. Mine, right? Like, no, it's, it's beauty. It, it's, it's, you're mine. You're like me. I got to name all the animals. You're mine. You're different. You're for me. 
What a gift that God has given in this moment. Because, listen, she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. All right, we just covered a lot of Bible. Listen, God's answer to Adam's lack of companionship was to create Eve as Adam's wife. See that? And, and, and here's the thing. Eve was to be... He was to be Adam's ride-or-die chick. Like, they're one flesh. This is what it means to be married, in a sense, right? Someone to go through life with. God says to be fruitful, to be multiplying, right? Spread my glory all over the face of this planet. Have more image bearers so that as they go about, they will show my glory to all the world, and, and he will be glorified in everything and in everywhere. This, by the way, is the first marriage. It's the first marriage. And by the way, God created marriage. And because God created marriage, therefore, he alone gets to define marriage, what it is, right? And by the way, his definition is very clear. One man and one woman are joined together as husband and wife for life as one flesh. That's it. Man, woman, joined together, one flesh forever. That's marriage, right? And this is beautiful. Our culture has worked hard to tear it down, which should never be surprising when the world that is under delusion and, and in sin is fighting to war against God and mar all that he's created and called good. We shouldn't be surprised by that. But I want you to know this is beautiful. It is to be celebrated. It is to be protected. And it's never to be distorted. Okay? End of side note. If you keep coming here, you'll hear more about that as we go forward. Because you can't get away from it. You have to keep speaking truth into the world that believes lies. Okay? But look at verse 25 again. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. By the way, as the great rap theologian Ice Cube said, today was a good day. <laughs> right? Like, this is beautiful, right? Adam and Eve are naked, they're unashamed. By the way, naked means so much more than just they don't got some, some threads on, right? It means they're completely known. They're completely innocent. They have no guilt, no shame. You and I cannot imagine this, right? Zero shame. Everything was perfect between God and His entire creation. There was shalom. Shalom. And it's beautiful. I want you to think about it. For a moment, wish I had more time on that clock because I'd, I'd love to just think about it the rest of the day with you. All things in the created order are perfect. Bugs, what did what did a mosquito look like before the fall? I don't know, but it would've been awesome. He wouldn't bite you, and you wouldn't get a little welt, right? It was just just gorgeous. Everything, perfect harmony, no shame, no fear, no fear. No anxiety, no doubt about whether God or people like you or love you, no insecurity. You're just, just like almost like a kid. You ever see a, just a little kid? It doesn't take long before they lose their innocence, but there is a moment. By the way, they're never innocent. They're born into sin. They're born sinners. That's my theological point. But there is a point where they just don't know. So they just run around naked. And they, I mean, they're just crazy wild and they just think everything's awesome. And it's beautiful to watch. But that was our reality at one point. But if you know the story, if you're familiar with the story, then you know it does not remain that way forever. 
doesn't remain that way for long. As a matter of fact, Shalom was about to be tested and ultimately fractured. And that's where we get into Genesis 3. That's where we're going to go now. So creation and you're like, that's it really? Yeah, we could talk a long time about that, but that's what we got time for today. Now let's talk about the fall. So that enters scene two. And, and by the way, there's a new character that enters the scene. Look at Genesis 3.1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, listen to the words. Did God actually say? Whew. He's not much different today. I mean, did God really say that? Is that really God's word? Did God really mean that? Is that really what he means? Did God actually say that you shall not eat of any tree in the garden, Eve? Now the serpent enters the scene and causes Adam and Eve to doubt God and his goodness. That's what's going on here. By the way, the serpent is Satan according to Revelation 12, 9 and 22. Okay, so that's where 20 verse 2. That's where we learn that this is who this creature is. So you're like, a serpent? Yeah. Satan is evil personified. He's pure evil, right? The devil's an accuser. He's a tempter. He's a slander. He's a deceiver. And that's what's happening here. He's an adversary, one who opposes. He's opposing God, and he's getting God's creation to seek to oppose him also. So he approaches Eve and he says, did God actually say... Essentially, what is what's happening here? The serpent is getting Adam and Eve to doubt God's goodness. That's, that's what's happening here, right? To, to, to not trust him, right? Essentially, the serpent doesn't want them to listen to God. No, as a matter of fact, listen to me. Listen, God's trying to keep you from joy. He's trying to keep you from, from infinite joy. He knows that if you eat that tree, you'll be just like him. And he's afraid of competition. So take a bite. You'll be just like him, right? And, and so you'll be independent. You'll seek your joy and your satisfaction apart from God, outside of a relationship with him. You won't need him anymore. Boy, does that sound familiar. He tells them that freedom is just one bite away, and they can be like God. So what happens? Look at verse 2. And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, and neither shall you touch it. Is that true? Yeah, I mean, she adds. She says, don't touch it. God never said, don't touch it. She, she doesn't know. She doesn't know his word. By the way, this is getting into it more than I want to, but, but God gave the command to Adam. My guess is Adam was commanded then to teach Eve, and he failed there. He failed there right? Don't touch it. He never said that. Why? Well, because lest you die. But the servant said to the woman, you will not surely die. Lie. You will lie. You will die. For God knows that, listen, here's what he says. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open. He doesn't mean you'll, you'll be, he's like, you'll have all knowledge. You'll be like God. That's exactly what he's saying here. And he says it, look explicitly, and you will be like God. That's the temptation, by the way. You won't need him. You'll be independent. Right now you need him. Don't you want to live real freedom where you don't need God? Sounds very similar to the lie that still goes on, knowing good and evil. So listen, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to her eyes. By the way, never be surprised when sin is delighting to the eyes. It's not tempting if it's not delightful, right? But when, he, when she saw that and that the tree was 
was to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. By the way, right there is the great act of treason. Right there is rebellion. God had been clear. It wasn't ambiguous. They knew. They willingly sinned. And in that moment, the eyes of both of them were open, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Adam and Eve willfully rebelled against God's loving command and believed the serpent over their creator. And in that moment, shalom was fractured. It was broken. All that God had made was poisoned. It was polluted. It was infected. So think about it. The mosquito. Before the fall, awesome creature. Can't wait to see it glorified, by the way. I'm sure it's stunning. But right now, it's groaning. And it just bites you stings you whatever I don't know you could have to tell me but the bugs started infesting all the fruit everything was poison you're like what's the big deal it was just a little sin but what if I took a arsenic and put it in your water just one drop by the way would you drink no because the whole thing's polluted and sin invaded and infected all that God had created they would quickly realize by the way that their rebellious decision did not bring freedom Instead, it brought brokenness, it brought disgrace, guilt, struggle, shame. Sin not only caused all of humanity to become fractured, but everything in the universe to be fractured, including and especially our relationship with God, was broken. It was fractured in that moment because God is perfect, He is holy, therefore He cannot have sinners in His presence. And so this is the situation they find themselves in. Sin ushered in physical death, which, by the way, physical death is separation of body and soul, okay? But it also ushered in what's called spiritual death, which is separation from soul from God. And that's what happened. In that moment, they were dying. Essentially, they were dead. They were animated dust. They would be returning to where they came from. And he's going to say that. But listen to the words once again. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day and the man and the wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees. This is heartbreaking. You need to feel this. It's not how it was meant to be, but this is what happened. Now, now here's the deal. They're hiding in their sin. They're hiding in their shame. They're hiding from the God who knows all things and what's going to happen. Well, God, listen, verse 8 And now we're going to look from 8 to 13. We're going to get close to landing on some of these things. Because I'm throwing a lot of information at you. But I actually believe you can follow along. It's it's a storyline that you can trace. You do have to stay engaged. You do have to think. But keep thinking. Keep hanging in there. Okay? So look at 3, 8 through 13. But the Lord God called to the man. By the way, this is pure kindness. It's mercy. And he said to him, where are you? By the way, he's not asking for a GPS location, right? He knows. He's God. He's like, what, in relationship, where are you at? And he said, I've heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked. I hid myself. And God said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? By the way, God knows the answer. Why does he do that? It's kindness. He's drawing them out. It's time to confess, Adam. I already know the answer. This is good parenting, by the way. He just draws them out. Because confession brings healing. It can bring healing. And this is what Adam, he says, who told you? And the man said, listen, 
the woman. Whew, the woman that you gave me. Well, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and, and I ate it. So, boy, we have problems in the marriage already, right? You can see everything's fractured. Relationship between God and man, but between man and woman. He, Adam's throwing his wife under the bus, right? You know, that woman you gave me, she gave me the fruit. It's her fault. She packed my lunch, right? But, but here's the thing. Who is he really blaming? He's blaming God. That woman you gave me. It's your fault, God. I was fine. I was fine. I was naming animals. I was, like, I was like king of the jungle around here, just enjoying my thing, working the ground. I was cool. But then you give me this wife. This wife, the one you gave me, the one that you created, the one that, I mean, I liked all my ribs. And you took one, and here she is, and she gave me that fruit. It's, it's, it's both your fault. And the Lord God said to the woman, what is it that you've done? And the woman said, well, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. <laughs> By the way, so the wife blamed Satan blames a snake, right? Neither of them will take ownership. This is us. <laughs> if you think, that's not me, you don't know you. This is us. We love to blame shift, but, but God will have none of it. We all know something's gone wrong in the world, don't we? Something has gone terribly wrong. Something's wrong in you. Something's wrong in me. We're fractured. Something's gone wrong in the universe. Things are not how they ought to be. And it doesn't take long to figure that out. The fall has affected everything. It's affected all of us. Shalom is gone. We have no power, by the way, to fix it. Man, but look around the world. It will not stop us from trying. And by the way, we should try. We shouldn't just like lay on our backs like a turtle and be like, oh, just wait till you come and kill me, right? Like you should work, plant a garden. It's going to get weeds, but do your thing, right? Like, but we're broken because of sin. And yet so many of us want to reject that our basic problem is that we are sinners by nature and by choice. We don't like that answer. But that is the answer. It, it's, that's the answer to the problem. When, when, when people see the tornadoes rip through places and we say, what's wrong with the world? It's broken. It's fractured. Everything's warring against essentially God. It's broken. So we pray for the folks in Kentucky and all the different places, and we show up with chainsaws, and we help, and we labor. But if you wonder why is that happening, it's because this world's broken. And we deserve God's wrath. It's not popular to say that, but, but it's a fact. They rebelled. That's why I love the Bible. The Bible's so honest and true in a world full of lies. It's the one place I can go and actually have my mind set on something I know I can trust because it's God's revealed word to us right all of it by the way even the parts that make you uncomfortable even the parts that you say culturally that doesn't make sense to me well then you need to have your mind transformed because the Bible is honest and true by the way the Bible refuses to minimize diminish deny the terrible realities of our condition because you need to know the problem by the way this is why Christmas is so necessary so necessary. God was angry, yet in his perfect and just anger, he does not just simply destroy man. No, actually quite the opposite. What does he do? In the, mid in the middle of our pathetic claim that we are smarter 
that we are more capable, that we owe him nothing and we want nothing to do with him as we shake our puny fist at our creator, God says, I will intervene on your behalf. I will help you. You you didn't ask for help, but I'm here and I have a plan. So regardless of what you think about God or how God feels about you even today, I want you to know what the Bible tells us. I want you to know what the Bible says, that from the moment that sin entered the world, God began to lay out his plan to send a Savior who would rescue, who would save, who would set things right. God initiates a divine rescue plan, and, and which, by the way, includes a curse upon the serpent. It includes a curse on mankind, but it also includes provision. It it includes the promise of a Savior. It includes one who's going to come and make everything right by taking all the sin upon himself and receiving the punishment that mankind so rightfully deserves. You do realize that the only thing you and I deserve is the wrath of God in a real place called hell forever. But Christianity is about grace. And so God, in his kindness, provides. He's a merciful God. So look at 3, 14 through 15 with me. So this is, now we're moving into redemption, and we're going to spend the next many weeks on redemption, okay? So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you, Satan, have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. He says, I will put enmity or hostility or war between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. Notice, he says, he, he, Jesus, shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. By the way, this is what some pointy-headed theologians would call the proto-evangelium. It's a fancy word, right? But all it means is first gospel. It's the first time we see the good news presented in the Bible Gospel means good news. God had just been greatly sinned against against by his, his creation. And in his kindness, he preaches. He preaches the gospel. God preaches good news to them. He did not tell them that they would have to figure it out on, them, on their own and save themselves. He says, no, I have a plan. I'm going to write this thing. I'm the only one who has the power. And in his loving kindness, he preached this amazing promise. Do you see it? You see it in the text. I want you to see it because here's what he promised. He promised that the evil serpent would always be at war with Eve and her children. There will be war, right? So story of love and war, right? Then he promised the coming of Jesus. When? Well, he didn't say that. He didn't say that. As a matter of fact, it's going to be a while. But, but Christ has always existed. But there's a, there's a time and a place and a moment, which we call Christmas, when Jesus puts on flesh, It's when he adds humanity. He's always existed divine, but he adds on humanity. He enters into the fractured world. And and how he saves it, by the way, is taking on all the fracturedness of the world and the punishment that we deserve. But he triumphantly resurrects over that from the grave, defeating Satan, sin, and death. Spoiler alert, keep coming. We'll talk more about it. But what he's going to do is he's going to crush the serpent's head. You see it in the text. You're going to bruise his heel. You're going to hurt him. You're going to wound him on the cross, but you will not triumph over him. No, he will crush your head, and he does at the resurrection and at the cross. This is the Bible's first prediction of a Savior, because we need one. Notice God doesn't make us wait long. I got a promise for you. Okay, well, then he curses Adam and Eve, What, by the way, are just the consequences. 
Notice, I'm going to read it, 16 through 19. He says to the woman, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. Oh, by the way, notice, I never had a baby. Shocker, I know, right? But my wife did, and I was there. How many hours? 30. She's a champ, right? I felt like I had a baby after 30 hours. I mean, it was painstaking. I'm sure worse for you. But it was hard. It was hard. Yeah, no, much worse. I'm going to get in trouble. So, but, but I want you to know this. It, it wasn't always that way. But I, my guess is there was some pain involved because he said it's going to increase, which means there had to be some level of that. But I think it's more than just pain of giving birth. You ever try to raise a child? There's pain involved because all the relationships are broke. But it doesn't just mean children. He means in the marriage. Everything's hard. And Eve, you're going to want to rule over. You're going to want to be the one who tells this man who's an ignoramus what he ought to do. You're going to want to do that. When he says to the man, he says, Adam, because you've listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I've commanded you not to eat, you shall not eat. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain shall you eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. But by the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken. For you are dust and to dust you shall return. Notice the struggle. By the way, work's a gift from God, but it doesn't mean it's always easy. <laughs> You ever have a bad day at work? Yes. You ever try to plant a garden and everything eats it except you? <laughs> right? Like, I remember planting a garden years ago. And like, I'm like, why are we working so hard? We just go to Yarnix, right? Like, we just buy things. They know what they're doing. We have no clue. There's bugs, there's deer, there's this, there's that. I haven't tasted a thing. I'm sweating. There's weeds. That's all because of the fall. Everything's fractured. Adam and Eve's rebellion, our rebellion has a consequence. Yet I want you to see that even in judgment, listen, even in judgment, there's mercy. There's mercy. Look at it. Last text. Genesis 3, 20 through 21. The man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. By the way, mother of all living, don't miss that the, the greatest consequence to man is that you're going to die. You're going to return to dust. That is the greatest curse upon humanity, death, which is what Jesus came to crush, okay? But he says, because you're the mother of all living, and the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin and clothed them. I, I, I mean, I'm telling you, I've read that text numerous times, but I want you to know how I saw that this week in such kindness in such mercy. They already had some, some fig leaves, right? Some loincloths. They had some, some plants that looked like Versace's. I'm sure it was amazing, right? But God's like, no, that, that's not sufficient, apparently. By the way, this is a beautiful picture of mercy and grace because God lovingly sought them out. He sought them out. He promised that Jesus would come and bring about salvation, but then he clothed them. He clothed them. By the way, many pointy-headed scholars would say 
they would understand this time to be the first animal sacrifice. Because where did you get the clothes? Where did you get the animal skins? Well, my, my guess, and I, I think it's absolutely right, God taught them that for your sin, there's penalty to that and that there's blood required. And so that's the first moment you had death. Now, you could disagree with me because I don't think the Bible is explicit here. But I do think if you're going to ask me, what do you believe? I believe that. So God, in that moment, God chose to cover Adam and Eve because it won't, chapter four, it's just blood. What happens till Jesus returns in that moment? I want you to know it's a conveyor belt of bodies and blood. War, war. The first two children, war. One of them's going to die. But they're offering sacrifices. Where did they learn that? They learned that from their parents. Where did they learn that? They learned that from their creator. They learned that from their God because he provided. And ultimately, he would provide the ultimate sacrifice, which is Jesus, who is the Lamb of God, who had come to take away the sins of the world. I'm going to clothe you in temporary animal skins right now, Adam and Eve, but I want you to know there is one who's coming, and he will cover you perfectly and fully in his blood, and you will be made to shine. Does that mean we're going to see Adam and Eve in heaven? I don't know. But if I were to speculate, I would say yes. But I do know this. You, right now, can be, hopefully are, perfectly covered in the blood of the lamb that means to trust jesus for your salvation because listen you and i have greatly sinned against god we're sinners you think man i wish i was in the garden i wouldn't have messed it up you're not thinking and you don't understand yourself and you don't understand humanity but i want you to know this god provides he provides they use fig leaves he provides more. This is a foreshadowing. If nothing else, it's definitely a foreshadowing of Christ, who is to come, who is the Lamb of God, who will take away the sins of the world by shedding his blood, by stretching out his arms in great love, receiving the punishment that Adam and Eve and all our rebellion deserve. He willingly takes upon himself because he loves. It's a picture of war, but it's a picture of love. God comes in love to make things right. And he receives the punishment. But because he had no sin, he triumphantly resurrects from the grave, defeating Satan's sin and death. And all who will repent, turn from their folly, turn from being the God of their own universe, turn from thinking that they're the ones who's wise and continuing to eat the fruit of their folly and just say, I have made a wreck of my life. I need help. That's, it's really, it's repentance, it's turning, it's turning from our sins, it's turning to God, and it's saying, clothe me, I need you, I need mercy, I need grace. I want you to know, God loves to pour out mercy, God loves to pour out grace, he's abounding in these things. He will gladly do that, because he provides, the only hope that we can have is that God provides a way to reconcile sinners to himself. He does that through the person, the work of Christ. This is Christmas. This is God's story. It's a story of love. It's a story of war. And I'm going to pray that over the next four sermons that you will have a greater understanding. Why? So that you can be smart? Sure. But so that you can adore. So you can enjoy so that your worship of this great God would increase that you would sing to him because you understand what he's done what he's doing and what he promises to do 
And those things are still to come. And you'll hear more about that as we go on. So let's pray. Father, thank you that you are a God who does provide. Lord, we thank you that even in the midst of our great rebellion, you provided Jesus. Even though you didn't explicitly say his name, you promised there would be one who would come and crush the head of the serpent. And we know, because we live on the other side of the cross, that 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 is the promise of Christ coming and crushing, but it was because he was crushed upon a cross, which is radical to our thinking. We never would have thought of that, but you, in your great wisdom, thought of that, and it does make your name great. And so, God, I pray that you continue to help us to understand the gospel, that the gospel is not just at the moment where Christ was crucified. It was preached in the garden to our first parents. And so, God, you're such a gracious God. I pray that you'd open the eyes and the heart of your people or anyone who may not even know you right now that today would be the day of salvation, that they would come, that they'd be clothed in your perfect righteousness, that they would receive forgiveness of sins by trusting and believing you. We ask this in Christ's beautiful name. Amen.